Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on newsstand studios from Rockefeller Center in New York City. Joined as usual with Nastasia of The Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Ah, nice. All right, sweet. I can't wait. I can't wait. We got, uh, well, we'll go through who we got, and I'll tell you what I can't wait for. We got, we got John. We got John. He's a, we've switched position. Nastasia's in the John position, and because we didn't know Nastasia was going to be here because we pushed her later in the, in the thing. Anyway. So we're glad to have both people. But how you doing, John? Doing great, thanks. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We got, uh, of course, uh, as usual on the controls, Joe Hazen. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Yeah. How are you? And for the last time, as our roving Mexican correspondent, we have Jackie Molecules live from where are you? Where are you? Mexico City or Oaxaca again? Oaxaca, still Aww. in Oaxaca. Aww. Last day in Mexico. Oh, last day in Mexico. It's been a, it's been a run. Let me ask you a question. Oh, uh, if you're listening live on Patreon, call in your questions to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. Before I ask you this, Jack, here's what I'm happy about. The next time I see Nastasia Lopez, it'll be Christmas hat time. (laughs) And I wait all year for the Lopez Christmas hat. It's true. And are you gonna are you gonna just be mean to me? Withhold the Christmas hat this year? No, next right. Tuesday. Right. It's, it's more important for her to have the Christmas hat than it is to make me sad. I like that. That's strong. <laughs> Didn't you get me the Christmas hat? No, I, remember I was gonna get. No, I don't. No, you had it and you lost it for like a. It like, was in a suitcase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lost it for a short period of time, and I saw it, and I didn't know you had lost it, and I I sent you a picture of it, and I was like. And then you were like, did you buy it? I was like, no, why? I lost mine. Remember, I was like, yeah. we were all like, we were both super sad. And I went back and it was gone. They didn't have any more of them. And so. Maybe it was Mark's. I can't remember. Yeah, it's the best hat. Doesn't light up. Doesn't need to. No. What are your thoughts? What are your general thoughts on lit? Literally lit. Not like lit. Like the kids say. Like, like lighted sweaters. I like them. You like them? Mm-hmm. At the appropriate party. I.e. an ugly sweater party. Yeah, I don't go to... I mean, I'm not invited to those kind yeah. of parties. No, you're invited to things, you just don't go. What? <laughs> no, you just no, never no, do no, anything, actually. No, that's, that's not the case. Okay. This is your theory of me. John? <laughs> he did something last night. Oh, yeah. really? What'd you do? Uh, there was a... I don't know what it's called. Friends... Look, Montenegro... Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving, okay. Uh, Montenegro... Bought out uh, pouring ribbons for the night, so I went there and got to see. It's weird. I've, it's like I've seen like a lot of bar people. There've been a bunch of bar events recently, so uh, you know I go out. I was like, wow, it feels like an actual community again. Strange, strange. Uh, okay. Oh, you know who's, who we might see is Nick Coleman, olive oil man. Oh yeah. When? Soon, uh, sometime on the show. Not well. I could have invited him on today, but then that would have been a wasted opportunity. What do you mean to take oil home? I'm, he's giving me oil for Thanksgiving. Oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, uh. Yeah. So uh, if you guys are interested, uh, Nastasia was like, we could get him on. And then I'm like, yeah, let's get him on. Because like th- what this guy does is he travels around the world looking for awesome olives, right? Uh, uh, olive oils, then buys them all from particular producers and then distributes them under his own uh, own brand. It's I'm called like, Grove and Vine. And it comes in magnums and now in like boxed wine magnum. I like a boxed things. wine. That's well, it's a, not it boxed olive oil, whatever. But yeah, I love boxed oil. Boxed ever. olive oil is, is 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 money in the bank, right? Yeah. Because it never has to see anything. But it never gets exposed. Buy to that as your Christmas gift for people because it's everyone loves olive oil. But just to give you an idea to go back to what Nastasia said earlier that I don't go out or do anything. Oh Nastasia says <laughs> we should get him on the show, and I'm like, yes, do it. And then she'll be like, Dave, why don't you want him on the show? I'm like, what? I said yes, do it. I said let's get him on the show. Well, we're booked like through the year. So. All right, whatever. But yeah, he's gonna come on. Uh, okay, so back to back to uh, Jackie Molecules in Oaxaca. Have you, in in anticipation of Thanksgiving time, have you had any delicious uh, Oaxalote turkey dishes while you're in Mexico? Yes, absolutely. Right, talk to us about them a little bit. Go go full yeah, Oaxalote like on me. Just like a big turkey leg in a pool of mole. That's basically the entire dish. I think they called it fiesta mole. Ooh. And um, I guess it's like something that they serve at weddings and celebrations and stuff. And I was kind of expecting a pretty showy dish, right? You order something called fiesta mole. And I don't know. That's what I was expecting. Yeah, the, the fiesta's <laughs> in your mouth, man. The fiesta's in your mouth. That's right. 
Yeah, the fiestas and the flavors. It's, it's just a turkey leg in, this, in the middle of a plate in a pool of mole, and that's it. No yeah. garnishes, nothing else. When you were back at the, in Mexico City at the Merced, did you go to the uh, mole spice dealers? Oh, my God, yeah. It's, it's so intense. There's, if you don't know what you're doing, it's just impossible. There's so many different pastes and powders, and yeah, it's crazy. The, the paste game in Mexico is so on point. The paste game is out of this world because... Like you got like they are the uh, so like every culture has had a what's called quote unquote saddle stone grinding technology at one point, but obviously like you know Mexico and the rest of Mesoamerica it was like where the matate mano became like the, the the ultimate expression and like the food and this like grinding implement are are linked right so chocolate would be ground on a matate masa would be ground on a matate. And the moles would be ground on it. So now they're using different technology, of course. But you go to the Merced and, you know, it's like Jack said, these like these paste dealers. It's just this rich, like reddish brown, like fragrant, crazy. And the density of these pastes, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's like, I don't know, like somewhere in between like a peanut butter and a halva. You know what I mean? It's like got some fiber because yeah, of all this stuff sense. in it. But yeah, but it's like. And they're just, but they're not, they're, it's not those colors. There's like this dark richness to them. And they're just so good. Mm. There's a lot of, you know what else I saw? I went to this awesome kind of more rural market outside of Oaxaca. And there were so many people selling like rocks of sodium bicarbonate, which was just really cool to see in an open market. Really? Of bicarb? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. For the, you know, tortillas. Well, that would be calcium. Uh, mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Calcium, not yeah, calcium yeah. hydroxide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, So originally, I'm, I, you know, I was looking into this because it takes a lot of, uh, it takes a lot of heat to convert uh, shells or mined um, calcium carbonate to calcium hydroxide, right? So I've always thought that originally, and some people who do like old school uh, nixtamalization, like the people at Macienda, like that originally maybe it was done with uh, potash, right? So like like ashes from the fire soaked with you soak the, those with water let it sit for a long time and then evaporate that down to a salt like pearl ash and I'm, mm. I'm guessing the initial stuff before they figured out how to because that's an that's a relatively advanced technology so i'm guessing slaked lime so i'm guessing that like the first uh the first stuff was probably done with pearl ash but i've never nixtamalized with pearl ash before someday someday i'll get back on the i'll get back on the nixtamal uh uh train um Turkey domesticated in Mexico. Didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. Huh. Turkey domesticated in Mexico, taken. I just was talking about this on the. I was did an interview on the NPR the other day. Uh, West Coast NPR though. KQED. Yeah. Yeah. So like uh, taken from Mexico back to Europe by the Spanish. Spanish were like, "Look at this, a new bird." And then I mean they don't talk like that. And then uh, reimported by the English who didn't understand that we already had turkeys here. Yeah. So the turkey, that, and then it was recrossed, uh, you know, at some point, um, probably in the, in the 17 or 1800s, recrossed with native wild turkeys. So this Mexican goes to Spain, gets, you know, done in Europe, comes back, is then recrossed back with our wild turkeys from here, and that's where the American commercial kind of turkey breed started, started coming from. Uh, wow. I love me some turkey. I love turkey. I, you know what I hate? Stas, what are you feeling some turkey? Uh, it's okay. Mm, I love it. I, I, when I was growing up, everyone was like, oh, oh, turkey. Um, uh, it's not that good, but I have it on Thanksgiving. No, no, I love it. I love turkey. I love the smell of turkey. I love turkey gravy. If someone tries to hand me some chicken gravy and I'm like, yo, that's chicken gravy. I want turkey gravy. What are your thoughts, John? Yeah, agreed. Love turkey. It's great. It should be around more than uh, than just for Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Turkey club, delicious sandwich. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mate, do you want a chicken club? No. No. No, turkey, yeah. Joe, what's your feeling on the turkey? Turkey club all the way, too. Me yeah, well. yeah. I can't wait. By the way, I don't eat the breast meat on Thanksgiving because I could give a rat's behind about hot breast meat. I eat the dark meat, the skin, the tail, 
right? Turkey That's tail yeah. is money in the yeah. bank. Turkey turkey yeah. tail, turkey tail. Uh, so like, it's so funny if you if you Google search turkey tail, all you hear about is American Samoa and Polynesian islands because. When you hack up, first of all, I don't. Do you know how big commercial turkeys are? Not the ones that they sell to us whole, but how big like a tom turkey is an eight in eighteen to twenty week. You ready for it? You ready? Fifty pounds. Fifty pounds. Oh my god! It's a yeah, big bird. It's a big bird. So the birds that we normally eat are females, right? Because they're more in the market weight range, and even even like a female at eighteen weeks is still. Like on the bigger size, like 18 to 20 weeks, a female turkey is like 27, 28 pounds. Of course, that's live weight. That's live weight. All right. But like, yeah, so you get this like Tom turkey that's like 50 pounds and it's still really young. We don't see those birds in a supermarket. You know what I mean? Those are the ones that are busted up. That's why when you look and you when you buy just a turkey breast, that double breast, and you're like, how the hell did you get this so big? You know what I mean? Mm. It's like... uh it's because it's the, it's it's that, but the tails they don't sell here, and for a long time they shipped them all to uh, Polynesian American Samoa from like a U.S. producers, and so got those folks addicted to them. And then the health people who believe that anything that tastes good is unhealthy was like you're shipping them these things that are unhealthy for them. And there's a big and you know look there you shouldn't eat only turkey tails. They're very high in fat. There's a gland there, but like uh, so they got. They turn into a stigma food. Like turkey tails turn into a stigma food. And to me, they are intensely delicious. You like braise a turkey tail and then you deep fry it and cut it up. And the first time I ever had it this way, other than at Thanksgiving, eating it, right? The one that you get. And sometimes you don't even get them on your birds now. Sometimes they chop off the tail. If someone hands you a turkey and they've chopped off the tail beforehand, you just got to like do something mean to them. Do something mean to that person to make up for the fact that they've stolen the best part of the turkey from you. Anyways... Uh, the only place I ever had them, and I've mentioned it on the show before, is in Juarez. I went to Juarez, and they have, you know, that's another thing that they eat only in in Juarez. It's like a local thing, colita di pavo, which is like turkey tail that they then shred up and put into a sandwich. So, like, they'll braise it, roast it or fry it off, and then, like, hack it up and put it in. Oh, my God. I tried to get it for XCON and the chef was not able to source them for me because they're all shipped elsewhere. And it's like it's one of those things where there's a stigma against it, uh, but it tastes better than the stuff that we eat. Anyway, I don't eat the breast meat. Uh, I try to save as much as I can for sandwiches because the answer is the leftover turkey sandwich to me. Do you at least like a leftover turkey sandwich, Natasha? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. What's your, and how do you like yours? Um, my mom makes this like green cilantro sauce and then puts that on bread. Do you have that sauce also on the Thanksgiving no. or do you, just for the leftovers? Yes. I appreciate making something for the leftovers. Yeah. I also, I like cilantro a lot. Yeah. I would try it except for the fact that like, I know exactly how I want it. I want it. The mayonnaise, the lettuce, the turkey, the slightly toasted crappy white bread and a slice of onion. And then I'm No stuffing or gravy in there? No, Black although, pepper? listen, uh, I'm not going to go hate on what anyone else wants. I also don't put cranberry sauce on my turkey sandwich. My wife, Jen, appreciates the, you know, having the, you know, the other things on them. But no, I, I want a sandwich and then I want a big old plate of the stuffing. I want a big plate of the stuffing. One year for Thanksgiving, I made all this extra stuffing and my brother came over to Thanksgiving and then he had to get up. He got up early in the morning and he ate half the stuffing and took the other half home. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yo, man. I was like, yo, yo. I was like, it's not, I don't know why we don't make it all year because we all love the stuffing we grew up with, right? All of us, pretty much. Even Nastasia. Yeah. You like the stuffing you grew up with? No. Wow. Uh, Nastasia, yeah. like, it's so funny. I never know with you. It's like, I grew up with it, I love it, or I grew up with it, therefore I hate it. And it's just like, it's just like, everything falls into a bucket. There's like, uh, it's like Nastasia's <laughs> childhood is like a, some sort of like, like, like mile high butte. And you fall either into the pit of I love it or into the pit of I hate it. But nothing just stays on that butte. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What kind of stuffing do th- does uh, your mom make that you don't like? Uh, I think it's just Stouffer's. 
Yeah, same here, Stas. That's yeah. why I never really had any affinity for it. Oh, yeah. John, what was your stuffing? Nothing special. Stuffing, uh, breakfast sausage, a lot of sage, yep. uh, rehydrated cranberries, diced Granny Smith apple, onions, carrots, celery. I think that's it. And then a mixture of like cornbread stuffing and then, you know, regular Pepperidge Farm. Pepperidge Farm. Stuff. Country that sounds nice. Yeah. What about you? What about you, Joe? What do you got? Um, I, 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 we definitely had, we had no sausage in it, which I really kind of fell in love with later in life. But, you know, obviously, you know, the sage and the rosemary, different types of breads, never homemade breads. It was usually like a medley of like some type of Pepperidge Farm breading, crouton thing with another type of bread. But I love when the chestnuts are in there. Oh, we never used to do the chestnuts, huh? So for us, we, uh, I think this is a little bit different. We only used, um... Fresh-ish bread, like you know, like not like super light wonder, but fresh bread, like loaf after loaf after loaf, right? And then when you say breakfast sausage, we would get like the like I think there were either twelve ounces or one pound, like in tubes, Jones brand, like you know, country sage sausage that you'd you'd par fry and break up. So a bunch of that, sautéed mushrooms, uh, canned mandarin oranges broken up into into pieces, celery. Eggs, eight buttloads of butter, poultry seasoning, uh, diary say the sautéed onions. That's that's the main components, you know, salt, pepper, and you just toss all that together, and you got to taste it when it's raw to you know make sure that it's got the right amount of everything, and everyone's got to sit there and be like, ooh, more of this, more of that, you know what I mean? And then yeah, say it's so important to. Get the moisture level right on stuffing. When it's dry stuffing, it's miserable, and when it's too wet, also miserable. Yeah, yeah. So you'd think you'd think it would be too wet to use the fresh bread, but we never have a problem, especially because we're not cooking. Because I think a lot of people have to add stock to theirs. You know what I mean to yeah. get it up to the right consistency, and we never do because I the, add some stock to mine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't need to. Yeah. Uh, do we? No, we don't add any stock to it. Uh, all right. So should we answer some questions before we go back into our own things? Although I will say this, people. If you have the opportunity, buy some turkey bones. Like one of the nice things about uh, partially deboning a turkey, like even taking the back out of it or like you know, I, I, bo- I bone it and then drape it over a hot stuffing plug. Like when I'm not cooking it this year. I'm going to my sister's. She just had a baby. So I'm not cooking the turkey this year. But like I typically rip all the bones out. And then starting with turkey stock is so much better than starting with a chicken stock or with a canned turkey stock and then reinforcing it with giblets. I grew up with giblet gravy because we didn't make a turkey stock beforehand, so the only real turkey that went in was the giblets. But in my opinion, if you have the opportunity to get some turkey bones and turkey backs and make an actual turkey stock, it takes your gravy like to next level turkey dumb, which is like if you look, if you need to use turkey to reinforce, but even if you start with a chicken stock, try to reinforce it with some actual turkey bones or turkey parts so that it actually tastes like turkey and not like slightly modified chicken. Because I don't know if you know this, not the same animal. What are you doing with the neck? That uh, I roast it and then I usually throw it into the stock pot when I'm making the turkey stock or if you were making the giblet gravy, but. The problem is, is that uh, every year when I drain the stuff, it, the neck meets there, and then I try to pull it out. But by the time it's gone through making stock, it's fundamentally useless. If you're not going to make stock with it or the giblet gravy, I love to roast the neck, and it, the skin gets crispy, and then you can eat it. And I, I love picking all the little pieces apart, but I'm a little weird that way. But it's a very muscular part of the – so what is it adding Besides just the texture of the, the the skin on the neck, I mean, you oh for the for the to a stock, yeah, oh, it's got a lot. Well, that's the thing; it's got a lot of little meat in the in the so, crannies and stuff. So you're you know you're it's a good, you, you know, backs and necks is the classic uh, thing to make poultry stocks with, just because there's not a lot of like salvageable plate style meat for it, right? So, you know, although if you've ever had stocks made from whole birds, they're freaking. They're, so like if you so Danny Kay's old. Uh, chicken recipe, which was then used by Jacques Pepin and put into his 80s two-volume book in color, Jacques Pepin's thing. He, his old um, chicken salad recipe was to put the whole bird in water, like you were almost making a chicken, old-school hen-style chicken soup, bring it up, 
put the lid on it, and then let it ride. If you save that water and do that a couple of times, it gets really chickeny from all the stuff. It's good, but it doesn't have as much body as like a, a highly boiled. Like when I make chicken stock, I always I save all my bones, and every time I make chicken, I save I save all the bones in a ziploc in the freezer, and then once I have a couple of gallons of chicken bones saved up. I'll pressure cook stock. I'll do like a double pressure cook stock. I'll do like one round, second round. And that stuff is fantastic. Are you ever dehydrating any of that stock and making like a bouillon? Uh, Well, it's so concentrated at that point that you don't need to. I think the mistake, look, like even back when I used to teach at the FCI, they used a very, very high water to, to, uh, to bone ratio. And it's a very light stock. And so to get anything out of it, like you need to do a lot of reduction. When you're doing it at home, I think it's better to use like the minimum amount of water. Like I even have like some bones sticking up out of the water because I know it's going to cook down a little bit. And so it's like a very – you get a more concentrated first stock. And then if you drain that and you do a double stock based on that, uh, like use that same water twice for two levels of bones – you really don't need to do any reduction at all. It's almost ping pong ball hard at that point. You know what I mean? Once it once it cools and settles off. So I tend to use that stuff straight. In fact, the stuff I make is so concentrated that certain dishes, if you use only that and you reduce it further, like, uh, you know, my family was like, that's intense. That's like a lot of like meatiness in a small area, which, you know, I was like, okay, just don't eat as much of it then. Sounds delicious. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good business. Uh, what are you guys' feelings on cranberry? Yeah? The jelly from the can kind. From the can? Yeah. So you're not a skins in man? No. No? Yeah. Stas? I like it. Yeah, skins or no skins? Skins. Oh, nice. Oh, strong. Give it a pound. For skins. once. Yeah, yeah. skins. Skins? And Joe, where are you? Skins, too. Yep. So I like it's, the, yeah, I like the acidity. So, John, so the, for John, the sound of Thanksgiving is... <laughs> Love it. <laughs> You know when the thing's hitting the uh, yeah with yeah. the rings yeah with the yeah. three with the with the little bands yeah. right? Yeah. How is it that it can maintain that after it slides out? How is it that it maintains that? Yeah, yeah no idea. Love it though. All right, here's the question. Here's the question. Orange, orange juice in the cranberries? Yes or no? Yeah, we got a yes on Joe Stas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jack, where are yep. you? On? Yep. Yeah. Right, here's something that I yeah, don't. I'm, I'm there. Here's something I don't recommend, and yet I do it all the time anyway. I always look at it, and I'm like, I'm making something that is sweet and tart. I want vanilla in it. And then I add vanilla, but it's a mistake, I think. It's a mistake. It takes it in a different – it tastes great, but it takes it in a different direction that I don't think Mm. is really the right direction. Ditto adding liquor to it. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm going to add a little – little, and you're like, you know what? No. It didn't want that. It didn't want that. I think a little orange is nice. I don't want to add zest, though. I don't want to add zest. Just juice. Maybe I should ancest. I don't know. I'm not making it this year, so don't have to worry about it. Don't have to worry about it. I love the cranberry. Yeah, yeah. You know who? What does? do you have to bring? Dessert. Okay, so sounds like you're really not happy about what? having somebody else cook Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm 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 happy with it. I'm oh, okay. Ha- I'm happy with it. It's just normally, you know, <laughs> for our Thanksgiving show, we talk about what we're doing, and I, I'm making I'm making pies. I'm making Parker House rolls. Everyone loves Parker House rolls. If you don't like a Parker House roll, I mean, Stas, you hate biscuits, but you like Parker House rolls, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. All right. Parker House rolls. I'm going to make a loaf of normal bread because uh, my, my brother's fiance, Zoe, is a cheesemonger. She's going to bring a cheese thing up, so I'm making like some crusty cheese-style bread, bread with which to eat cheese. When we're starting early, I'm going to do the Parker House rolls and then like some pies, three, you know, three pies, pies. Solid. Where are you getting your pie recipes nothing. from? Where? Well, that is interesting, John. <laughs> uh, I am I am been reading, rereading, rereading, and reading again all of the Monroe Boston Strauss pie marches on. Like that book is just. I mean, I know I've said it on the air before. That book is just crazy. You know what's interesting? I've been thinking about it a lot. He. Um, and remember, he wrote this book originally in the 30s, so it's very highly gendered. It's super gendered. So his enemy, the person that he saw as his absolute enemy, was uh, the housewife. And he calls – so like not home people, not home cooks, housewives were, were his enemy. And so you know, in his mind, he had, uh, you know, he had lived through a period where, you know – no one was baking bread at home really anymore in the 30s and 40s, right? This was something you've allowed commercial bakers to take over that. Even cakes have been a lot been taken over by uh, kind of commercial cake production. But pies, he was like, 
He's like, housewives still make pies at home. Damn them. And he's like, their pies are garbage. And so he was out to shut down home pie making, which is why his recipes are only for commercial institutions. And I think why he's not more famous today, because all of his recipes were directed at commercial bakers. And strangely for his time, he believed that all bakers should band together and give each other good recipes just so that they could put the housewife out of the pie business. Anyway, uh, so yes, I've been reading a lot of, and I'm going to put this, I want to put this in your head, people. Uh, You're probably hearing this too late unless you're on Patreon, but listen. Uh, We as a culture of pie-making people, and we are a culture of pie-making people in the United States, right? We love pies in general. We love pies, Uh, a specific kind of pie. We are obsessed with the flaky crust now. And uh, Monroe Boston Strauss says, I think, very smartly, that the flaky crust is garbage. He's like, he's like the long flake crust, he's like, it can be good, right? He, but he says, most of the time when I, and he used to just sit there and watch people eat pies for like days on end. He would just sit and watch people eat pies. And he's like, on the long flake crust, when your fork goes through the pie, people don't want to have to pick up a knife and be like, and cut through it, right? They want the fork to go through the pie, down, and hit the plate. And he's like, long flake crust, not very good for that. You know? and, and, and he was using pastry flour, so he didn't even have the problem that we have that we're using AP flour for these things with its uh, you know, concomitant extra gluten, right? So he had an easier time of it, and still he believed that a shorter, uh, shorter, like shortening, shorter crust that a fork would pass through was actually the superior crust. And he says, if you're going to do long flake, which is what he called what what we all now call pie crust, he's like, just do it for the top crust. Have the bottom crust be a shorter flake. And he made a difference. He made a mental difference between um, mealy, which he didn't really think was good for most things, and short flake. So he's like, listen, it's not just is it mealy and we don't no one wants mealy because it sounds bad. Ooh, mealy. Sounds bad. Ooh, mealy. Mealy crust, mealy apples, I don't want it. But there's actually this kind of in-between land of the short flake pie crust. He says this is what most people actually want when they when they're actually putting a fork through a pie. So there you go. Pie. I'm making yeah. I am making only uh, uh, also, he originated rolling graham crackers into the crust. So now instead of doing graham cracker crust, I do rolling graham cracker crust. So two of the three pies I'm making will have rolled in a graham cracker, uh, a short flake, of course. Come on. Although I am going to make a standard apple pie. Should I do his thing and do long flake top and short flake bottom? Report back. Yeah, why not? Do yeah. it. Yeah, just do it all, all, do it all the way. Do it, yeah, why do it halfway? Exactly. Do it big. Yeah. Yeah. What song is that? Do it big. What song is that? I have no idea. Mm. And the rest of it I cannot sing. It is not for me to sing. Uh, so uh, from Tarek Rashti, a question for the Turkey Day episode. I'd like to make individual Cornish hens for people to share instead of a turkey for Thanksgiving. What is the most foolproof method for roasting about five hens at the same time? Also open to non-roasting methods. Thanks. Okay. So for all of you who don't know, like, Cornish hens were like huge when I was a kid. Everyone was like, ooh, Cornish hens. Cornish hen is just a small chicken, right? It's like literally the same genetics as a chicken, just smaller. So you can cook as for chicken. I'm going to put this out there though. You ready? I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to give your chicken, I'm going to give your your Cornish game game hens their time. But uh, let me just say this. Uh, My life got changed about five, six years ago when I realized that a great answer for large Thanksgivings when you're having a lot of people, right, instead of getting the one monster turkey is to get a small bird turkey that you roast whole, that you do the table presentation on, and then you get another turkey that you bust into parts and cook out as parts right? Then you can present the whole turkey and you already have one basically parted out and carved. Now, I've done chicken fried, chicken fried like cut up turkey is great. You cut the breast into like three or four pieces and then you bread and fry them and you know, you can debone the legs and all this other stuff. But uh, as an alternative to uh, the one big bird, 
like my favorite new alternative is the small bird and then the hacked up bird because then you can solve the leg problem and the breast problem separately but still present the, the big bird, you know, the, the whole bird. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, so Cornish game hens, I would just say cook as for chicken. And as for, as for cooking that many, it really depends on the size of your oven. If you have a full sheet pan oven, right, then roasting off five hens is not going to be a problem. What uh, the, the thing that I like to do when I'm roasting birds if you don't mind filling your house with smoke, uh, is to uh, put the birds on a rack and then put the drip pan below the rack and then insulate the drip pan so that it doesn't get uh, scorched. Because it, it really depends. Like some people's oven, the heat comes from the top and the bottom. If, you're, if, if all of the heat from your oven is coming from the bottom, then unless the pan uh, un- at the bottom c- has a lot of liquid added to it, it's going to burn and smoke off and then you're going to lose all your drippings and whatnot but if you suspend the birds a good distance above and even if you just put a couple of cooling racks on your roasting pan and lift the birds up so that there's more radiant heat hitting the bottom of your birds and you want to spread the birds out as much as possible so that they're not shielding themselves from the radiant heat from the side of your oven and i think that's going to help you have all of the birds kind of look nice if the if all if if the bird if, if, if the Cornish game hen, if the skin on the side of one Cornish game hen is only seeing the skin of the, of the Cornish game hen next to it, it's never going to color up because you're, you're only going to be working with the convective uh, heat. You're not going to get any radiant heat on that thing at all because they're, rough, they're basically the same temperature, those two pieces of skin. And so there's going to be no net heat transfer. So you just want, assuming that you have a standard oven with kind of blackish walls where there's good radiation, or even if you have heating elements that provide radiation, if your bird can't see the dark wall or the heating elements, then it's not going to get brown there. So that's, you know... Alternatively, you could low temp them all and then just roast them off like a mother uh, at super high, super high uh, heats. Remember this also. Um, if they start to color too much, but they're not done on the inside yet, then just throw aluminum foil. There's no difference between shiny side and, and dull side. Okay. Uh, I hate to tell it. I hate, look. The, the infrared, which is where uh, all of the radiant energy is that it, that we're worried about in cooking, uh, is so big compared to visible light that both sides of that aluminum foil are polished as far as the aluminum foil is concerned. There is almost zero difference in the emissivity between the dull side and the shiny side. So stop worrying about it. Uh, put the aluminum foil over the birds, but allow them to stay in. Uh, do that before they get so dark that you don't like it anymore because what you're going to want to do is that's going to steam out your skin a little bit. So you're going to want to, for the last five minutes, yank that aluminum foil off so you can re-crisp uh, uh, up the skin on the outside. you agree, you guys? Agreed. Yeah. One thing I will mention, though, if you do have your Cornish hens stuck too close together, one way to fix that browning, Dave, you could buy a Searsol. You could buy a Searsol, and this leads me to my next point. Which is, uh, John, we're extending the uh, thing. Why? Because you guys didn't buy enough of them. Not you personally. I'm sure, like you that listen to the show, I'm sure if you have a need for a Sears All Pro, that you've already purchased a Sears All Pro. But not enough other people have done it. So we have to extend because if we don't make the numbers, we can't literally can't afford to build it. Yep. Because that's where we are at this point in our lives. So there's that, people. The Sears All Pro, I don't know if you know this, John. Stop. I don't know. If you, I know you're probably not aware of this. Fifty percent more searing area. <laughs> you don't say. Did you know that? No. Oh, here, Stas, get this. Map gas now. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> map gas. Revolutionary. Did you know that? And the thing about the map gas is, is that uh, that on the original Searsol, it'll burn out the screen. Yeah, but on the new one. Do we have a China call tonight? No. Yeah, we do. We do. Not they, that I'm aware. Of. Confirm. <laughs> uh, I, I, look. I'm gonna. I'm getting my booster shot, and as far as I know, booster shot wrecks you. Like booster shot, apparently is like, oh yeah, yeah. Booster (laughs) shot, you're down like three days. If you if you were down one day, if you were down, this is this is what they. I'm still getting it, whatever. But if you were down one day on the second, then on the booster you're down like three days. If if you still had good antibodies, right? They're injecting you with this stuff. That makes your body think that you're being attacked, right? That's how it works, right? Like you're telling your body that you're being attacked, and so your body does a response. Well, now, right? If your if your immune system is still good, 
it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And it makes you feel sick for even longer. Did you get sick with the first two shots at all? I got sick on the first. I, I, okay. I, I didn't get sick on the first shot. I felt like, I mean, I still worked, but I felt not good the second Two yet. shots. Who gets two shots? Oh, you got J and Oh, yeah, you got the, you got the head buster, the J&J. I don't know. I haven't met anyone who's gotten the J&J booster. I heard you can get whatever booster yeah. if you it's have It's all interchangeable now. Yeah, but yeah. not by the state of New York. In the state of New York, you, like they've opened it to all the adults to get the booster, but unless you're immunocompromised, they're still on the websites to make the, uh, what's it called, the appointment. You still need to tell them which one you got first. And they're like, it needs to be more than six months ago, which is fine. But they, they're they basically forcing me to get the same one. Maybe not if you walk into a pharmacy, but if you're making it through the New York State find a vaccine thing, they're like, you got to get the same one you got before. So I'm all, I'm all Moderna all day. I'm all, everyone mm. thought Pfizer was the best, but now nobody knows. Yeah. Some people are saying J&J is the best if you get two as long as your head doesn't explode. Right, Seth? I guess. I haven't gotten but the booster yet. But you're right, I'm, I'm, you're right in the exploding head demographic. I know. Nastasia is solidly in the middle of the exploding head demographic. It's still a <laughs> tiny group of people whose head explodes. Raining it back Dave, in. I met somebody here. Uh, I met a friend in Oaxaca, and uh, I was like, are you vaccinated? Claire? And she said, yeah, uh, in Oaxaca, in Mexico. And I asked her if she was vaccinated, and she said, yeah. And I said, which one did you get? And she was like, oh, no, my grandma sent me to a shaman, and I had the poison of a frog. Oh. Well, and I don't I know if like, you know this, but uh -oh. like... Po okay. poison, poison frogs can cure you of being alive, but they can't cure you from getting COVID. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. Was she yeah. an expat or was like, she a Mexican? American or not? Oh, no, Mexican, please. Oh, no. no, definitely. She was very Oaxacan native. Yeah. But like uh, Nastasia has a friend down there that maybe you should uh, get these two people to hook up. And uh, Nastasia's friend can go get the, <laughs> the frog juice. Yeah. Go get the frog juice. Yeah. I, John, what do you got for me? I just want to say, while we're before we get too far from the series, all pro. If you guys follow our Instagram <laughs> and tag friends underneath the one of the most recent posts, we're doing a giveaway of the series all pro package. So you get a, sta a base stand, Ooh. you get the torch, and you get the series all pro. Just have to follow us, submit as many times as you want, and we're gonna make that announcement on this Friday. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I will be making right. the There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I, Nastasia and I, even though we have something going, like. I have to say I'm not going to talk to any of you guys on the Friday, unless I have Great. to. I mean, Perfect. maybe I'll say, how you doing? What's up? Hope you had a good Thanksgiving, but I'm not going to be oh, business talking at you. That sounds great. I'm getting my tree on, on Friday. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Coleman, do you have any general tips for dealing with a lack of oven space on Thanksgiving Day? Uh, we only have one oven. After the turkey is done, there are various items that will need to be baked fresh, like Parker House rolls, oh yeah, or reheated like sides cooked on prior days. I thought about using a, gr a gas grill as an oven, but I've never tried that. You could. If you're going to use a gas grill as an oven, uh, what I would recommend is putting down a, a, like a layer of aluminum foil directly over the grates. If you put a layer of aluminum foil over the grates, that's going to stop the radiant heat from coming up from the coals. And then if you put a layer, if you put cooling racks on top of that, close it, and then look at the thermometer that's on your grill, you should be able to get a fairly accurate temperature read of going, uh, what's going on, but you're not going to be getting that intense radiant heat from your burner elements. And so you should be able to keep it at a relatively normal uh, thing. Also, good opportunity to buy yourself a, a, a countertop oven. You know what I mean? Like a, like a, like a, you know, look, we don't make any money from them, but like the Breville Smart Air or equivalent, like they are great at, just, the Smart Air is a good size for keeping a bunch of sides, uh, like warm. Another thing is, uh, they, they might be sold out now, but go to a thrift store and People used to have uh, all of these like turkey ovens and like all of these other things. They're really cheap, right? They look almost like slow cookers, but they're meant for cooking turkeys, but they also hold sides really well. And they're, they're, they're cheap when they're new. They're free at a thrift store. You might find one because people don't know to just have them and then you can just pull it out and have it. So that, so now if assuming you don't want to do any of that stuff, uh, it's a real problem. The real problem is someone coming to Thanksgiving expecting you to have free oven space. Be a good guest. Do not expect to have oven space. Do not expect to have oven space. Your Parker House rolls, what I would do is, unfortunately, yes, everyone knows they're best right out of the oven, but 
I would cook them off earlier in the day, take them out, tent them, then put your turkey in. Then you can refresh them uh, when the other sides go in as the turkey is resting because you're going to need to rest the turkey before you cut it anyway. Uh, as for the other sides, like you got to tell everyone who comes with their sides, sorry, we're cooking at one temperature today. So everyone goes in at the same temperature and you can multi-rack your oven. Even if your oven doesn't have multiple racks, if you have little half cooling racks, you can, as long as you put two racks together so that you can space things out and air can get in between them, you can like multi-stack certain dishes for reheat to, uh, to keep them in. But yeah, I feel you. I feel your pain. Have I, have I given any good uh, advice on this, guys? I don't know. Would, is, do you guys have any tips for this? Not really. It's something I'm going to be juggling as well this year, though. I'm doing the turkey on the grill, so that is going to help save oven space. Turkey on the grill, huh? Yeah, that's how my mom wants to do it. So I now have Bullet in Your Head song, uh, the, the song Bullet in Your Head with Turkey on the Grill. A turkey on the grill! Like, you know, and, anyway. <laughs> um, they say jump, you say how high. Wow, I was yeah, listening to uh, yeah, I was listening to uh, Rage Against the Machine yesterday as I was walking to the uh, Friendsgiving event, and I believe that if you play Rage Against the Machine really loudly in your ears as you're walking around, that it's the equivalent of an extra two or three layers for warmth. I feel like the rage you throw <laughs> off so much internal heat that like I wouldn't say it was like Canada Goose, but I was like I was like wearing like a Patagonia puffer level of extra heat from just you know the the intense loudness of the bulls on parade as i was walking down the street but if you do walk down the streets of new york city listening to rage against the machine or the functional equivalent please be aware that you become more well you me i become more physically angry when i'm listening to music that i grew up as like anger music listening to and so you just got to be careful not to walk in front of a car and get hit you know what i mean you no, just, yeah. Good yeah point yeah i mean i remember once i was biking and stu- you know like I'm, I'm, I'm a one earphone listener in case calls come in and sometimes if i have music playing i'll leave it on which i shouldn't while i'm biking because i think it's unsafe but i was listening to like some particularly loud sound garden and I realized I almost got myself killed because you become more aggressive when you're listening to super loud Soundgarden when you're biking around, I think, you know? Yeah. You think it's I the mean, same, same for, for driving. I'm much less of the safe driver when I'm listening to stuff like that. Huh, really? I never thought about it. Maybe. Yeah, man. Yeah. So what, you sh- now, now you're Manilow only when you're driving? Just Manilow? <laughs> no, I don't know. No? Or if I'm in the city, maybe maybe it's safest to not blast music. Yeah. Sometimes. Especially like the Jack, what's your favorite Manilow song? I don't have a favorite Barry Manilow song. Why not? You like them all? <laughs> Can I tell you the last time I listened to Barry Manilow? Oh, you don't like you don't like uh, you don't like Mandy? Eh, fine. I mean, I can see that you know, I can see where you're like, I've heard uh, what, what's that? What's that one uh, at, at the Copa? I, could, I heard it too many times. I could, I could feel it. Right. What, what is he, 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 his is, he does uh, Can't Take My Eyes Off For You or no? Uh, he wrote the songs that? that makes the whole he world wrote. sing. Did you know that? He, oh, no, I didn't he know He wrote that. the songs of love and special things. Did you know that? Stas, you like Manilow, right? Uh, he's okay. I saw what? him at the park, that uh, Welcome Back New York event. He, he's had some unfortunate attempts to not, not and he age. And he said when he was singing Mandy, he was like... Everyone needs to evacuate. Why? Because that was the the hurricane night. Remember? In the middle of Mandy. Oh, yeah. Wow. He, in the middle of Sandy came Mandy. <laughs> no, wow. no, no, no. The hurricane <laughs> was in September or whatever that was. Remember the uh, Henri? Henri. Say, so give me some French Henri. Henri. Oh uh, yeah. So it was like this. Is like, and you gave, and, and you like, gave. Get are all gonna need to find an exit. In and the then middle he was of the song. like off. In the middle of the song. <laughs> yeah, and then and de Blasio, wow. and then de Blasio came out and was like, "Don't listen to Barry. We're all safe. Stay." And I was like, "What? Yeah, clown. what are we doing?" <laughs> clown college. He's gonna run for governor. Did you know that? No, yeah. I didn't know that. I'm not. We don't talk politics anyway. Uh, again, yeah, I voted for him. What does it matter? But I can't believe in the middle of a lyric. <laughs> He's like, and we're done. Yeah. Was it in key? No, it was no. <laughs> and get out and get out. <laughs> Imagine if he did it like he's just like 
Yeah. Well, because it was lightninging. <laughs> you can't stay here. Get out. Like you just started like doing it, like the whole song. No, it was yeah. lightning and dangerous. Back in the old days, musicians used to really worry about getting hit with lightning, right? That that was a thing. Yeah, get, or get, their equipment shocking them. Yeah. Who was it that almost got killed? Was it Plant that almost got like electrocuted on stage? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. All right. What? No questions. Let's, oh. keep, let's keep moving. We got 15 oh, you, minutes left. All right, all right. You yeah. want to do the question that you were going to read from the thing, or you want me to oh, do? We can. We can do that. I'll do these. These came in first. Do I'll do these. Yeah. Somebody right. also mentioned using a water bath to keep things warm, like mashed potatoes. Doesn't help with oven space, though. But just oh no, but it, that's the the answer for mashed Maybe. potatoes. Listen, yeah. if you're doing mashed potatoes, you can do your mashed potatoes like well in advance, well in advance. When you put it into the Ziploc bags, just remember to keep it thin keep it thin and then they reheat almost instantly right it does don't let people see it because when it slips out of the bag it doesn't look very good so you got to slip it out of the bag and then you gotta you gotta fluff it up a little bit make it look good yeah a little yeah yeah a little bit a little bit a little bit and then uh then it'll look okay so don't let them see you do it um but yeah that's a fantastic idea whoever whoever wrote that in i do that all, all the time if you can have a little water bath a lot of the sides the only sides you can't do that for are the ones that like have like French fried onions on top or like marshmallows? Where are you guys with marshmallows on your sweet potatoes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Nuts? No nuts. No nuts. No nuts. Yeah. But marshmallows. Yeah. Do you ever? Was it you, Nastasi, or someone else? Put the little pineapples in. Yeah, my mom. Yeah, in your your pro right. Um, from Star Craving Mad. I find myself making many varieties of meats and putting a decent amount of effort into making the marinade. You ever oh, marinade is one of those words where I'm always like marinade. I always like like stupid it. I don't know why. I can't help myself. Uh, I tend to cook them out a bit uh, and make them into a sauce of sorts, balancing them out, uh, with salts, acid, sugars, etc. As reduction occurs, of course, most of the marinades that I, I do are so salty and acidic already that if I reduced them, I was on a show, and this person said that she was brining her turkey. Get this. See what you guys think. Maybe I'm wrong. She was brining her turkey. In soy sauce. Now listen, I love soy. Pure soy sauce, not watered down or anything. Well, I don't know. Okay. She didn't have that long to talk about it. Okay. She made it seem like it was pure soy sauce. That's, as we say, intense. But the other problem with soy sauce is it burns really easily. So like if, if I was to stick a turkey in with my normal procedure and it was completely soaked in soy sauce so the outside had soy all over it, it would burn. I don't know. You guys weigh in. You tell me what you think. Because, um, look, I'm sure she's was very s- smart and a food technologist. So I'm mm. sure she knew her way around this. But I feel like if you just did that without knowing some extra secret that she wasn't telling you, that you would burn the skin. It will brown nicely. If, if, your, if your turkey comes out of the oven sallow and gross, then if you start with something that – that's why I don't, like, put too much – Anyway, you don't, whatever, I'm not going to get into it. Okay. Uh, I tend to cook them out. Um, the question is, can the spinzol assist in this process when we try uh, try to create these savory sauces, particularly ones that contain grated onions and other large particulates uh, that after a cook would not contribute additional flavor? Well, you could probably strain that stuff out, honestly. If you have a spinzol, the, the, the problem with most of these marinades is that you're leaching protein out of the meat during the marinade section. And, uh, and you, 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 you address this here. You say... Because you also bag things, so you do bagging. So if you take sauce that something's been lightly cooked in, like in a bag, when you heat it, you get a kind of disgusting gray protein foam on the top of it. So that's really what you're going to want to get rid of. And you can strain it or, yeah, the spinzol would be tough because usually you don't have that much of it. And the spinzol would be better if you were dealing with like 500 to like 1,000 mLs of it. Then you could spin it out. Sure, it would work. Hey, look, I'm for it. By the way, apparently... uh, we have another lead because the, the old factories being such punks that we have another lead on a manufacturer for the uh, spins all again. All right. And secondly, what's the best way to address off-gassings of bones in meats during low-temperature cooked like ribs, bone-in pork shoulder, etc.? Anytime I end up vacuum sealing these items, I usually have to pull the bag uh, after about two hours, deflate it, reseal it, return it to the bath, and weigh it down for any additional off-gassing that may occur. Uh, thanks. So this is a, a big problem. Listen, on your vacuum machine... Right. You can usually it depends if you have a commercial or not commercial, but 
if your vacuum machine is set to seal the bag as soon as it reaches its temp, uh, its vacuum level, then you're going to leave a lot of air in the bones. All bones are hollow. Bird bones especially are hollow. But you, any, anyone who's cut a bone in half can see it's porous, right? Because think of how much you would weigh if your bones were solid. I mean, it would be crazy. And then birds are hollow because... Even the ones that don't fly, they descended from things that flew. So their bones are hollow, hollow, hollow because they want to get – it's just like, a, like, like an iron pipe. An iron pipe, all of the strength – or steel pipe – all of the strength of that pipe is on the outside. It wouldn't be that much stronger if it was completely filled in. And your bones are the same way, right? Most of the strength of the bone comes from the diameter of the bone on the outside. And you need some strength in the middle to prevent crushing. But most of the actual like – like, is it going to snap in half comes from the outside. So there's a lot of air on the inside of a bone. Uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in a mammals and humans, we fill it with stuff that we need, like, you know, marrow and things that make, you know. But in general, that's not strong and there's more air than, than you would have in meat, let's say. So as soon as the vacuum hits its vacuum level, there's still a boat ton of air left. So what you need to do is set your vacuum machine to uh, – set your vacuum machine to – uh, suck a lot of extra time, as much as extra as you can. And then when it sucks down, then uh, you know you will have gotten rid of a lot more air. So that can solve some of the problem. Another problem with uh, specifically some of these bone-in things is bones can put, and I don't think you're having this problem, I don't think, but you can get micropunctures in your bag when, the, when, the, uh, when it comes back down. So I used to shield, uh, I used to put like little like shielding, like little like either like wadded up like uh, plastic wrap or something like a little slice of onion or something over where the bone is sharpest so that when the bag came down, I wasn't getting uh, a puncture. And the way you know for punctures, especially if you have a new vacuum machine and you're not used to using it yet, is uh, don't vacuum and cook right away. Vacuum it, put it back in the fridge, and inspect your bag after a half hour. Within a half hour, you should be able to see the telltale signs of micro leaks. So you can get micro leaks in the seal area itself. Those will become apparent. Uh, but especially around bones, if you see any lift away on little dots that are protruding out, so like, you know, like if the butcher or you didn't properly scrape the bone surface after the after the meat was cut, you leave micro fragments there and they can do wonders to puncturing your bag. So just if you wait that half hour and look and then if extra air has been seeping out then. Now, remember, when you're cooking it, the air expands. And so if you've left air in the bag at all, right, then um, it's going to expand in the cooking. There's nothing you could do about that. So get as much air out as you can. Wait a half hour. Um, if you want, you can even vacuum it again then, but then you don't know whether you've ruined it by letting it go and, and crushing it again. But, but, but try those things. It is a known problem. This is why also it's a lot – unless you need to have the bone on, a lot of times deboning something and then um, deboning it and then uh, using the bones for something else like stock when you're going to use the bag is, is, a good, is a good thing to do. Usually, also lower temperatures. If it was a if it was a problem with uh, bacteria, it would be at the lower temperatures, so you would know, and it would also smell weird. So it's probably not that. It's probably just air leaking out of the bones. Things like poultry, I think it's a good idea to get rid of the bone anyway, because when you suck the vacuum on it, let's say you suck enough of a vacuum to actually get the bag to stay down, you're also pulling all of that red crap out of the middle of the poultry bones, and that stuff never turns uh, cooked color and even I, who know very well that it's safe and cooked, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't look so good. So, like, that's me. So, like, anyone else who, who, you know, hasn't for years been telling people about persistent pinking and the fact is they just can't eat it. They don't want to eat it. They're just not attracted to it as a food stuff. So, poultry, most of the time I bone it before I bag it. Um, do, you, do you want me to do this question or you got your question? Uh, do that question, then we'll go to mine. From Kim Ferrer, uh, I really want to do a yuzu sauce for my turkey, but I can't find fresh yuzu anywhere. Is it po- well? You just gotta spend more money. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm not saying it's worth it to spend the money. I'm just saying, you know, it's money. Money changes everything, as Cindy Lauper said very wisely. Uh, is it possible to make something that tastes similar to yuzu using fresh tangerine, citric acid, and mal- malic acid? I wouldn't say yuzu really tastes like a, a tangerine. Here's the problem with tangerines. Um, certain varieties of ta- – tangerines are delicious. You make a delicious marinade with tangerines. problem with tangerines is some tangerines are uh, – they get bitter. 
after they've been juiced, right? And unless you know that your specific variety of tangerine is juiceable and is not going to go bitter, I would worry about it, right? Um, I think since you're going to make a marinade and it's going to be cooked anyway, or you're making a sauce, since you're making a sauce, unless the sauce is not going to be cooked at all, just buy a high-quality cartoned yuzu juice. So the, I forget the name of it, but the one we used to buy comes frozen in a lime green carton, kind of tall, kind of fancy. Uh, that's really good. Like, I would even use that in drinks. Uh, but even, you know, try to find a, a, a you know, a yuzu that's been um, bottled or cartoned with, uh, without salt, without too much salt, because they, you know, when they're in the salt, they're really putting the preservative in it. But if you're using it in a sauce anyway, I wouldn't worry, and you're going to cook it, I wouldn't worry about the fact that it's not fresh if you, what you want is the taste of yuzu. What do you guys think? Yeah, agreed. What's your, uh, what's your uh, question there, John? What Alrighty. Doing? So, can you please give me your take? Or This is from Ian. Can you please give me your take on my Thanksgiving plan? My challenge this year is traveling with a meal to serve to someone who's immunocompromised. I won't hold you to the safety part, but it's more of a would you be okay serving this if it were you. For the dark meat, I'm doing a confit with a four-day cure, 1.5% salt uh, by weight, Sealed in vac bags and fridge. Then we'll open bags to add fat and revac for 24 hours sous vide at 65 Celsius. All right, let's take that. Like, uh, how long do they say again? It's 12 hours? 24 hours for oh. the legs cook at 65. Yeah. I mean, they'll cook. I, like, I am a fan of traditional confit flavors. So, like, I've tested a bunch of confit, mostly duck, of kind of lower temperature, long time. And it seems fine. But like me personally, if I'm gonna go confit, I like like high temperature, like the three hour high temperature traditional confit, just because that's the texture that I like. But yeah, that seems fine. And from a safety standpoint, yeah, you're you're fine. All right, next. White meat, porchetta style roulade. I had to prep it early because of the four days for the dark meat, so I reluctantly stuck it in the deep freeze. It's a 10 centimeter cylinder. I want to sleep at some point, so my plan is to put it in the same 65 degree bath for 12 hours, even if that's a bit high. So the sucker's frozen solid. Yeah. Okay. I want to pull them from the bath at the same time Thursday morning and hold them hot for an hour drive. I figure a cooler filled with heating pads, then finish on the other end. I'm a bit concerned about the time I spend prepping, the long curing time, roulade freezing time, and time to get up to pasteurization temps, and the travel time. Does this all seem risky as it now sounds writing this, or do you think it should work? Would really appreciate your take. All right. So, you're, so assuming that when you made the roulade that it was cold, relatively cold. You didn't, like, have it out there. You weren't, like, wrestling around with it in the mud for, like, an hour, right? So it, it wasn't in the in the danger zone too long, and it was relatively cold throughout before you put it back into the freezer, right? This is the assumption I'm making. The reason I'm saying this is, is that the bacteria didn't have a lot of time to grow as the roulade was being uh, fabricated before you put it back, before you put it into the freezer, right? Now... It's frozen all the way through. Let's just assume it's frozen all the way through. Now, it's, we, did, we crunched some numbers. I used my old polyscience sous vide calculator program that I have on my, uh, on my phone. And I, pu- I punched in a, a, 10 centimeter, a 10 centimeter poultry cylinder. I told it that it was thawed but at one degree Celsius and that you wanted to hit at least 62 degrees, which is kind of the right 62, 63 is where you're going to want the te- for the texture of it. And that your water was at 65 degrees Celsius. That's what I've typed in. It takes nine hours for that to happen, right? And so then the question is, uh, how long does it take to thaw? And I think you might actually, from a safety standpoint, be winning here. Because I think with the temperature delta of 65 to zero, that you're actually going, you're, 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 the zone where it's not going to be in a good place in terms of temperature is actually going to be relatively small. And I think that at those things, I don't think your thaw time is going to be longer than uh, like three or four hours. I think you might actually end up winning. So if at the end of it, you stuck your probe in and you had hit, you know, 62, 63, I'm going to say that you're fine. I would think you're fine because it, it takes a lot of energy to melt something versus heating it. And so the temperature gradient is going to be pretty high and it's going to heat into that zero point faster than it would if it was, uh, 
not. In other words, I think you might be okay. If you had taken a piece of meat that was at room temperature and tried to cook it, then the inside would be at unsafe temperatures for a long time before it got up to pasteurization temperature. And I think that might actually have been more worrisome. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Um, But I don't know. That's just my feeling on it. Uh, you could also just fill the cooler with uh, 65 degree water in the hour long drive that you go over there. It'll only drop two or three degrees. Just keep it all in the bag. Put it in there. You don't even need the heating pads. In an actual igloo, you'll get maybe five degrees drop and it's not going to make it below 60. So no one on earth is going to make you hold stuff uh, hotter than, uh, you know, hotter than uh, 140, which is 60. So you, that's what I would do. Yeah. Uh, all right. And wait. Question-wise, that's it. Two little announcements, though. Okay. One, uh, for everyone, looks like we're going to have Dave Chang and Chris Ying on next week's episode, so get your questions in. It's going to be good. Not confirmed, but looking very promising. And then also, for any of you guys that have not subscribed to our Patreon yet, we are going to have a nice little membership perk for everyone to be announced next week that I think is pretty neat. So you should... Um, it's only going to be available to Patreon members, so you should join. Go to patreon.com slash cookingissues and sign up. All right, well... Uh Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And, you know, uh, if you can, look out for people that uh, don't have enough of either fellowship or food. And, uh, yeah, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, Jack, happy Thanksgiving. Good trip back. Happy Thanksgiving to you, too. All righty. Cooking issues. Cooking issues.